Good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you are, and welcome to a bonus episode of Talking Smith about film. Never thought we'd be doing one of these, but if the world turns out the way I want it to turn out, you should be hearing this little extra episode on the release day, the UK release day, for a certain film called Tenet. Now, on this week's main Talking Smith About Film, which you're going to hear on Friday, live at 6.30pm on YouTube and available on all the podcast platforms straight after, we will be reviewing a couple of Christopher Nolan movies. Of course, culminating with the new one. But what we've never really done on Talking Smith About Film is done an entire director's chronology of work, barring one or two films which I've not had a chance to watch yet. Uh, in one marathon sitting. So that's what we're going to do with this little extra episode. So we're going to do basically every Chris Nogan film that we have reviewed for the blog in one, well, two podcasts. A nice little two-parter to uh, lead you into the new film, so to speak. So without any further ado, you know how all this works. Time to tell you how you can get involved with Talking Smith About Film. You can submit questions on the blog at thejacksmith.com forward slash submit. Potentially get your questions answered in a future episode of the podcast. You can go old school by emailing us at podcast at leejacksmith.com. You can tweet us using hashtag TalkingSmith and you can at me directly at leejacksmith. Or if you are a Facebook or Instagram kind of person, we have presence there too, at Smith on Film on both platforms. At this point, I'll usually be saying something about live chat on YouTube, but as this is a podcast-only kind of thing, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Now, where else do we begin our Nogan retrospective than his first feature film? which I'm literally holding a copy of right here. I bought it for many moons ago when I studied Inception in depth at college. The year is 1998. Fresh-faced director just out of university made a film on a shoestring budget. That film was called Following. And here is the trailer. Eyes um, drift across a crowd of people and they slowly stop and fix on one person and all of a sudden that person isn't part of the crowd anymore. They become an individual, just like that. Just became irresistible. So you followed women? I followed anybody. I just wanted to see where they went, what they did. It was supposed to just be completely random. You would never follow the same person twice. That was the most important rule. That was the one that I broke first. That's when the trouble started. yesterday. What's it feel like being uh, broken into? You're developing a taste for it. The violating the wire is most definitely you. Two. 
Now, because I actually have the DVD in hand, I can read the uh, synopsis of the back of this. Curiosity develops into voyeuristic fixation as a young writer called Bill follows strangers around London to research a novel. After following a guy called Cobb, a well-heeled stranger who's actually a thief, Bill's obsession takes a similar sinister turn as he's led into a dark underworld. And they say here, following a suspicious debut by British director Christopher Nolan, is an ingeniously plotted thriller that keeps the audience guessing right to the very end. Well, it does. It's a Christopher Nolan film. What do you expect? This may have been a film made for £3,000, but you can really see the beginnings of the Nolan signature style of filmmaking. That obsession with time and memory and the mind, that fixation on dark themes... Characters named Cobb, which, of course, a little over... God. 20 years later, he'd revisit for for his Hollywood kind of movies. But this is Pete Nolan being Pete Nolan. He wrote and directed this one himself. It's a very tightly paced one hour, ten minutes. His shortest film to date. Um, shot entirely on black and white film stock. Mostly one one take shots uh, in order to conserve the amount of film that they were using. He paid for the film stock itself out of his own salary, so they heavily rehearsed the scenes, and it obviously shows. Um, he also, fun fact, Nogan shot this movie himself. He didn't. He didn't know his cinematography choice for another another two years. He didn't meet Wally Fister until two thousand, uh, but. Get, this is Nogan being peak Nogan. He's, he's, it's him and a few of his mates making a film that they wanted to make. Obviously, the, the mate thing can sort of continued because Jeremy Theobald, long-time friend of Nogan, is his lead. Dave Julian is on music duties, obviously, again, a good 20 years or so before Hans Zimmer enters the fray, or even Ludwig, Mr. Goranson. I'm recording this before I'm the day before I see Tenet, by the way. So, so I, I don't know anything yet. But you have a um, a very different kind of cast and a sort of thing you would expect from a Nogan film. We've mentioned Jeremy Theobald as Bill, uh, but you've also got Alex Hale as Cobb uh, and supporting them, Lucy Russell, John Nogan. Uh, a lot of people who have kind of disappeared out of the limelight since this movie, but they hold the honour of being the first talents to really work with a director who's carved his niche, who's actually worked his way up because he ran a film society at University College London. He then started making short films, uh, including Doodlebug, uh, which I believe is on the Criterion reissue of this film. I've got the Boring Momentum Pictures DVD came out in the UK many years ago. Uh, but this is a film that really got got the eyes of the world on, on Nolan, set up a lot of expectations in terms of, look, this is, this is what this man can do, this is the kind of film that he can make, and this is the sort of thing that you can expect to see in his future work. And an important point to note, again, Nolan being enigmatic on his very first film, Jeremy Fearwald's character is credited as the young man. He's got a name now, but he was initially credited as just the young man. 
This is what I love about Nolan. He likes to keep things very close to his chest until the film is out. I mean, I'm, I don't know anything about Tenet yet. Uh, the only way you can get your hands on this film right now is by getting your hands on a DVD copy of it. Unfortunately, uh, uh, that's the only legal way uh, to get your hands on this film. Uh, but I'm going to have to say, if you really want to go full hog with your Nolan binge, go out and see this film. Because you can really get an understanding as to what he would do on his Hollywood pictures going forward. So that's our first review down. We're not messing about today. Let's get our second review done. And our second review is one that's a little bit more memorable. Two years after following, Hollywood came calling. And Nogan would work with some serious talent for the first time. In 2000, he teamed up with New Market Films to create a film about a guy who can't remember things, based on his brother's short story, Memento Mori. His brother, by the way, is Jonathan Nogan, the man behind HBO's Westworld. Fantastic show. Being our first collaboration for the big screen, we got a film called Memento. Here's the trailer. Motel room. I guess I've already told you about my condition. Oh, well, only every time I see you. It's my memory. Amnesia. No, 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 no. It's different from that. I have no short-term memory. I know who I am. I know all about myself. I just... Since my injury, I can't make new memories. Everything fades. I've told you this before, haven't I? What's the last thing that you do remember? My wife. yourself trust your own judgment you can question everything you can never know anything for sure you know i've had more rewarding friendships than this one although i do get to keep telling the same jokes Once again, I have the DVD to hand. Uh, this was released by Pathé here in the UK, so it was a very independent film when it came out 20 years ago. This is officially the 20th anniversary of Memento, which is incredible. 
brief flavour of what the film's like. Leonard Shelby remembers everything up to the night his wife was brutally raped and murdered. Heavy film. Bear this in mind, it's a 15 for good reason. Uh, but since that tragedy, he has suffered from short-term memory loss and can't recall any event, the places he has visited or anyone he has met just minutes before. Determined to find out why his wife was killed, the only way he can store evidence is on little scraps of paper uh, by taking Polaroid photos and tattooing vital clues on his body. Throughout his investigation, he appears to have the help of both bartender Natalie, who may have her own secret agenda, and police officer Teddy, whose friendship is always suspect. As Shelby's fractured memory tries to piece together a chilling jigsaw of deceit and betrayal in reverse, breathtaking twists and surprising turns rapidly occur in, and I'm going to quote this verbatim here, in the most challenging, original and critically acclaimed thriller in years. This is what Pafé themselves wrote. We'll let you be the judge. Here's a clip. What's wrong? Somebody's come already. Who? Calls himself Dodd. What does he want? Wants to know what happened to Jimmy and his money. He thinks I have it. He thinks I took it. Oh, well, did you? No. What's this all about? Uh, you don't have a fucking clue, do you? You're, you're, you're just blissfully ignorant, aren't you? Look, I have this condition. Yeah, I know all about your fucking condition, Leonard. Probably know more about it than you do. You don't have a fucking clue about anything else. What happened? What happened is that Jimmy went to meet some guy named Teddy. He took a lot of money with him and he never came back. Jimmy's partners think I set him up. I don't know if you know this, Teddy, or how well. Neither do I. Don't protect him. I'm not. Help me. How? Get rid of Dodd for me. What? Kill him. I'll pay you. Uh, uh, what do you think I am? I'm not going to kill someone for money. What then? Love? What would you kill for? Kill for your wife, wouldn't you? That's different. Not to me. I wasn't fucking married to her. Hey, hey don't talk about my wife. I can talk about whoever the fuck I want. I can say whatever I want and you won't remember. I could call your wife a fucking whore and we can still be friends. Calm down. Easy for you to say you can't get scared. You don't know how, you fucking idiot. Take it easy. This has nothing to do with me. Well, maybe it does. How the fuck would you know? You don't know a fucking thing. You can't get scared, but hey, can you get angry? Yes. Oh, you pathetic piece of shit. I can say whatever the fuck I want and you won't have a fucking clue, you fucking retard. Shut your mouth. You know what? I'm going to use you. I'm telling you now because I'm going to enjoy it so much more if I know that you could stop me if you weren't such a fucking freak. If following was Nolan's equivalent of Fresher's Week, this is the equivalent of absolutely bossing it on the dissertation and making something genuinely memorable, pardon the pun. This is a one-hour, 53-minute film that is, again, really well-paced. I... When I watched this film initially, I was a little confused about the way it was structured because, again, uh, Nogan co-wrote this with Jonathan. Um, they don't like to brag about it that much. It's technically credited as screenplay by Christopher based on a short story by Jonathan Nogan. Uh, but it's obvious that they worked on the script together because that is the kind of partnership that they have. Obviously, they work on Batman films together. They'd write Interstellar together. They would have a lot of collaboration 
uh, over the years. This is a very tight one hour, 53 minutes. And yes, it does look quite complex in the way the film is told. For the black and white sequences, depicting the flashbacks and the colour sequences showing uh, Leonard trying to remember things. That's one of the devices that makes this film work so well. Now, it's genuinely one of the filmmaking devices that makes this film work so well. It is a film that doesn't insult the audience's intelligence, which you do not get that often nowadays, especially in, in 2000 when people like Tarantino were reigning supreme with uh, films like Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown. This was at a time when audiences were starting to realise that the multiplex cinema was a good thing, home video was on the rise at that point, and they were willing to take chances on new and innovative stories. We're having a repeat of that nowadays. Well, we were but until Covid hit. We were seeing new directors try and get their chance to be a bit more creative, be a bit more them, and make the films that they really wanted to make. And it's obvious Nolan and Jonathan wanted to make this film work so much. On Cinematography GCs, we have, for the very first time, Nolan and longtime collaborator Wally Fister, best name in Hollywood, absolutely best name in Hollywood. Um, and Wally's cinematography is one of the super secret awesome sources behind a Nolan film because he, like Chris, wants to do a lot of stuff in camera rather than use visual effects. And that, again, is a hallmark of what Nolan does. He prefers things to be in camera. This is before the pair of them discovered IMAX. This is a good 18 years before... Yeah, a good eight years, sorry, uh, before the pair would pioneer IMAX cinematography uh, on a mainstream film. But again, you can see all the known hallmarks. you got that obsession with time, that obsession with memory, that obsession with personal circumstances, and that obsession with the dark, brooding nature of the plot. This is one of Nolan's heavier films, but it's just as enjoyable. Returning on scoring GC is Dave Julian, who worked... Um, this is the penultimate film I believe he worked on with Nolan because I've not had a chance to watch Insomnia yet so we're not going to be reviewing Insomnia for those of you interested we might we might do it in a future talking to me about film uh, later down the line once I'm settled back in on my masters but uh, we won't be doing Inception this week unfortunately uh, but yeah Dave Julian's on scoring GCs uh, basic score Ron Seal job does what it says on the tin but the main difference this time round is the cast because Nolan got to work with John Papsidera, his casting director, for the very first time. And he was able to attract some big-name talents. You have Guy Pearce as Leonard, who has the most difficult job in the world trying to sell this memory loss to a wider audience. And you could tell that Nolan had a lot of input making that performance work, and they did go research. Because it's one of the most convincing lead performances in a Nolan film ever and it's one that fans enjoy watching a lot you also have Carrie Ann Moss as Natalie the, uh, the bartender who again height of Matrix fever in between the sequels nice little bit of counter programming from New Markets put it out in uh, November of 2000 if I remember rightly uh, and you have Joe Pantoliano as Teddy, the, uh, the police officer who's a little bit suspect. Those three are able to make this film really come alive. And this is a film that you have to watch at least twice to really understand it. Yeah, it's a film you have to watch at least twice to truly understand it. Because it's one of those sort of films. Now, if you're lucky, if you've got the, uh, the free disc special edition DVD, 
you have an alternate cut of the film that will allow you to watch it in chronological order. So if you are really struggling to understand the way this the, the way that these 23 individual sequences work, watch the chronological cut after you see the film for the first time. But if you if you really want to go all in, watch the theatrical version. And then watch it again. And then watch it a third time. Because The Guardian described this as one of those films that you immediately want to see again. Uncut Magazine gave it five-star review. Modern classic. Unforgettable. I agree with them. Not quite masterpiece levels, because we're not at that stage of his career yet, but it's another guy out see it now kind of film. And the rumour is that they want to remake this movie. Which I hope never happens, because that would be sacrilege. Uh, but the good news for those of you who can't get your hands on, D- on a DVD, this film is available on Amazon Prime. So if you've got a Prime Video membership, uh, you can watch this film for free, which is really good. So if you, if you need something to watch before you go in and watch Tenet, here's your film. Here is your film. I'm going to rest my throat up a little bit. Um, while I do that, last week we launched our big Bringing Cinema Together we're bringing cinema closer, rather, campaign. Uh, last week we launched our Bringing Cinema Closer campaign, and it was good to get back into View Preston last week. We'll tell you a little bit more about what happened at View on Fridays, talking Smith about film, where we'll be doing our new feature, the Cinema Diary, sort of profiling what they've done to make the building COVID secure. But for now, here is our brand trailer for the Bringing Cinema Closer campaign. Welcome home, great British cinemas. We're also telling nightclubs, theatres, cinemas, gyms and leisure centres to close on the same uh, timescale. Cinemas, we've missed you. Five months of hibernation. Five months of staying alert. Five months of trying to replicate the big screen experience in rooms like this with lovely little doggos like this, with smaller screens, awful sound systems and, well, controversial day and date releases. But those days are almost over. We are open and not a moment too soon. Tenet, New Mutants, Bond, big movies deserve the biggest screens. Yes. It will be different, but once those lights dim and your obligatory 12 minutes of commercials play, the escapism will have been worth the near half a year wait. It's time to return to what we love. Getting lost in great stories, escaping to new worlds, downing cups of tea by the hour, and enjoying the newest releases on an environment that they were built to be experienced in. It's time to support this industry like we have never supported it before, putting distributor quarrels behind us, taking chances on bold new films, and filling those screens as much as we feasibly can. They have missed us as much as you have missed them. It's time to get behind your local cinema, 
in ways that you've never done before. Buy your concessions, wear your masks, and most importantly, enjoy yourselves. It's time to bring cinema closer. Welcome home, Great Britain. And now we're on to the films that I am genuinely quite nervous to talk about because they are all fine pieces of filmmaking. After Nolan worked on Insomnia in 2002, which again, we won't be reviewing because I've not had the time to watch it, Warner Brothers and DC came calling. They wanted someone to do a darker, more brooding take on a franchise that had been quite dormant since the late Joel Schumacher did his thing in the, in the late 1990s. A franchise that has had directors like Tim Burton work on it. A franchise that has also, in the last few days, revealed the first glimpse at Matt Reeves and Robert Pattinson doing their thing. And again, we'll discuss that a little bit more on Fridays, Talking Smith about film, the main podcast. But after Insomnia, Warner came calling and they said to Nolan, do you want to give Batman a go? What followed was one of the greatest superhero trilogies of all time. We do not have the time to focus on each film individually. So we're going to review all as one body of work. And God bless Warner, they put together a five-minute super trailer for this trilogy. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the Dark Knight trilogy. Does it depress you? To know just how alone you really are. What are you seeking? I seek the means to fight injustice, to turn fear against those who prey on the fearful. <laughs> to conquer fear, you must become fear. To manipulate the fears in others. You must first master your own. Are you ready to begin? If you make yourself more than just a man, and if you devote yourself to an ideal, and if they can't stop you, then you become something else entirely. Legend, a story. Legend. 
coming. So for those of you who've been living under a rock for the last 20 years, these films are Batman Begins from 2005, The Dark Knight from 2008, and The Dark Knight Rises from 2012. Obviously, Nolan would make films in between each one of these movies, and we will get to them a little bit later on. Uh, but Batman Begins, this is your origin story. This is the death of Martha. This is Bruce Wayne working with Ra's al Ghul. This is the reinvention. This is the reinvention of a character who we thought we knew. This is the reinvention of a character who had been plagiarised a lot. And this was the first time DC had really run the character properly 
since the rise of X-Men in 2000 and after, God forbid, Halle Berry as Catwoman in 2004. But what Nolan did with Batman Begins is he went away from comic book mythology and grounded his Gotham City in a more realistic environment and setting. Away were the tropes, in comes brutal action, an alias cast, and some damn good action scenes. IMDb say it best. After training with his mentor, Batman begins his fight to free crime-ridden Gotham City from corruption. This is a this is a brilliant film. This is a really really good film. Uh, written co-written by Nolan and David S. Goyer, who had, he would work with a lot on the DC side of things. Uh, this is a two-hour, 20-minute film. It's a long film. It is a very long film. But there is enough room for these characters to breathe. You feel immersed in this new Gotham City. And the way Nolan does this is by using all the technical capability he has to his advantage. You've got Wally Fister on cinematography duties once again. You have, for the first time, James Newton Howard and a German by the name of Hans Zimmer, who up until this point had primarily scored kids' films. What those two did was reinvent the rule book, throw all orchestral movie scores out the window and create something that broke a lot of cinema speakers back in the day. And it's continuing to break cinema speakers now because it's been reissued uh, as part of the build-up to Tenet. But add to that, add to that some great performances from the cast. You've got Christian Bale as Batman, Michael Caine as Alfred... Liam Neeson as Ducard, Katie Holmes as Rachel Dawes, who of course would get replaced by, by, by Maggie Gyllenhaal um, in uh, in Dark Knight. You've got Gary Oldman, Killian Murphy, Tom Wilkinson, Rutger Hauer, Morgan Freeman. It's an incredible cast. It is an absolutely incredible cast. And this film opened very strongly, Warner alike. How do you want to continue the story? And that would bring us to 2008. With, I'm going to say it right now, masterpiece. Absolute masterpiece. The Dark Knight. What more do we need to say about this film that hasn't already been said? This is a film that genuinely surprised the world. Five-star reviews from the News of the World, five-star reviews from Empire, five-star reviews from The Times, got a five-star review from EJackSmith.com, even though I wasn't even writing anything back then. But The Dark Knight not only rewrote the rules of the superhero film, it rewrote the rules of Hollywood filmmaking in general. It's the same core creative team as Batman Begins, with the exception of screenplay and cast. Because on screenwriting duties for the obligatory second film, Goya would, of course, helm the story duties. But this time round, 
it was a combination of Christopher and Jonathan Nogan. And again, you can tell because the action is even crazier. Some of the Batmobile sequences have gone down in legend. The prologue of this film has gone down in legend. It feels like these two men have been tasked with a $200 million budget to do whatever the hell they wanted with the Batman IP. And it obviously shows because all of the um, the stunts and the action sequences, you can tell they did it for real. And, of course, again, Wally Fisher on cinematography, for the first time using the IMAX cameras. So if you have... If you want to get your hands on this film or watch it um, the way it was intended, try and seek out an IMAX showing of this film or get the Blu-ray. Because if you watch this film on Blu-ray, you get the IMAX sequences and the full aspect ratio. And when... You get, so all I need to do to say is the opening logos... That cello hit from Hans and James Newton Howard kicks in, and that first shot of the film, that helicopter shot leading into the robbery, that was what got audience. That's that's what got audience in. That is exactly why audiences were interested with this film. But the um, the one downside about the Dark Knight, it's a real shame that this happened, and I discussed this uh, with Dan Carver. Uh, on our sister podcast, The Rip Ticket Review, at uh, the end of June, in our season finale for The Rip Ticket Review, which you can watch on the LeeJackSmith.com YouTube channel uh, or listen to here on all good podcast providers. Just search for Rip Ticket uh, wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, the tragic circumstance was for all the great performances from Bale, from Oldman, from Kane, from Aaron Eckhart as Harvey Dent, the one tragic circumstance is Heath Ledger never got to see the critical acclaim that he would receive for his work as the Joker. Without this movie being made, we wouldn't have had things like Deadpool. We wouldn't have we wouldn't have had last year's Joker. We wouldn't have had New Mutants, which, as I record this, is actually coming out in cinemas this weekend. Without this film, we would not have got the darker, more brooding take on superhero films. And me and Dan likened it to The Crow, the uh, 1994 Alex Proyas film with Brandon Lee. We likened it to The Crow in the tragic circumstances overshadowed the film's release, but eventually it would go down in legend as a film that would change the game. And yes, this is a long film. It is a ridiculously long film. It is uh, 145 minutes according to the uh, to the DVD. And I'm just quickly trying to find out. That is 2 hours 32 minutes in Queen's English. Uh, but this is... I can't think of this, another word other than perfection. This is the perfect superhero film that is actually aimed at adults, not Marvel family audiences. This is a film aimed at adults. And the 12 certificate kind of proves it. The BBFC said it was their most complained about film of 2008. Why am I not surprised in the slightest? And this film, 
and again, it gives me pride to say this. This film is back in cinemas right now because, again, it got reissued ahead of the release of Tenet. If you can, watch this film on a big screen because that's where it belongs to be watched. And four years later, Nolan would come back and finish his trilogy. And we got The Dark Knight Rises. How the mighty fall. It's still a good film. It's still a really good film. But after The Dark Knight, expectations were a lot higher. Because you have, again, the same core cast. Bale, Kane, Oldman, uh, Morgan Freeman. But joining them this time around is Anne Hathaway as Catwoman. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, as a uh, character called Blake, if I remember rightly. Uh, if I was to say any more about his character, it would spoil the the ending of the film a little bit. Uh, you got Marion Cotillard, who, again, new character Miranda. Uh, and, of course, the man who can act with just his eyebrows. Nolan's words, not mine. Tom Hardy as Bane. Now, obviously, in between the making of The Dark Knight and this one, Nolan would make Inception, which we will be playing back a review of very shortly. But you can tell there are a lot more tips and tricks that he learned on Inception implemented into this film. It is an even longer film than The Dark Knight, clocking in at 2 hours 44 minutes. And again, it's back in cinemas, so good luck um, sitting around for three hours with your adverts and trailers if you end up watching a film on the big screen. But this film, it's strong, but some of the... how the characters are treated in some aspects leaves a lot to be desired. Eight years after the Joker's reign of anarchy, Batman will help with his enigmatic Catwoman. Uh, it's forced from his exile to save Gotham City from the brutal guerrilla terrorist Bane. That's what IMDb says. Uh, again, same called creative team. Jonathan and Chris on screenplay. Goya on story. Hans Zimmer on his own doing the score. Wally Fister on cinematography. Um... If it was a two and a half hour film, it would have been a lot better. But Nolan just wanted to make a film because more suited to him and him only. But again, tragic circumstances would overshadow the film's release. Um, it would be wrong not to mention this film without touching on the opening day and what happened in Aurora in Colorado. Put the whole validity of comic book films into question, whether people... We're thinking, is this real life? Is this just fantasy? I can understand why Warner pulled the premiere at the time. But we have to remember, this is only a movie. This is all fiction. And yeah, that's all I can really say on the matter. But The Dark Knight Rises is, I think for me, the weakest of the set. Um, but when you put these three films together, which is what we're going to do for the, for the rating... What we're going to do for these three films, where you put them all together and look, look back at them as a body of work and the impact it had on Hollywood and cinema in general, 
this trilogy is a masterpiece because it did what no trilogy could and it made darker comic book films possible like I said with Dark Knight without this trilogy we wouldn't have had things like Deadpool go for the 15 certificate we wouldn't have had things like Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice we wouldn't have Zack Snyder's Justice League and I'm deliberately calling it Zack Snyder's Justice League because that's the only cut I'm going to acknowledge from now on bring on next year but without Nolan's work in the superhero genre we wouldn't have the expanded comic book universes that we know and love today the fact that we both we got both the Dark Knight and Iron Man in the same year quite indicative of how much of an impact this man has had on the industry so from superheroes to magic because our next film we're going to talk about the movies that he made in between his Batmans now we're going to talk about his 2006 adaptation of a book about two rival magicians trying to get one up on each other. After this little advert for the journal, we're going to talk about the prestige. Looking for something a little more visual? Well, we've got you covered. The Journal is our flagship YouTube series taking a unique look into the industry from the eyes of a critic. We've got episodes on basically everything, from how to get into the industry, how cinema industries work nowadays, and we're even documenting the cinemas that inspired our Born Independent campaign. Head to leejacksmith.com forward slash YouTube to watch every episode back to back. So it's time to talk about Nolan's post-Batman little project movies. Uh, And we're going to start with a film which fans of Nolan's work have regarded as his best film. Of course, again, I'm recording this before the UK release of Tenet, so I can't really pass comment there. 2006, out of nowhere, an adaptation of a Christopher Priest novel comes out of nowhere from Nolan and well was it any good let's tell you this is the trailer for the prestige shoot me come on no I can't do it (laughs) how'd you like that how'd you do it magic I'll perform this feat in a manner never before seen by yourselves or any other audience anywhere in the world audience loved it. This trick is top-notch. You need to celebrate. <laughs> a real magician tries to invent something new. God. <laughs> something that other magicians will scratch their heads over. I suppose you have such a trick. I sure I do. So one they're gonna remember me for. What happened? It was the greatest magic trick I've ever seen. need to know how he does it. He has no trick. It's real. Every great magic trick consists of three acts. The first act is called the pledge. The magician shows you something ordinary, but of course, it probably isn't. 
The second act is called The Turn. He's obsessed with discovering your method. The magician makes this ordinary something do something extraordinary. Huh. Now you're looking for the secret, but you won't find it. That's why there's a third act called The Prestige. This is the part with the twists and turns, where lives hang in the balance. Julie, come on! And you see something shocking you've never seen before. This was built by a man who can actually do what magicians pretend to do. Real magic. I know what you really are! How does he do it? You want the truth. Nothing is impossible. No more secrets. Secrets are my life. Now I've got both the DVD and IMDb ready here. Behind a mystery like a secret, behind a secret lies an astonishing discovery. After a tragic accident, two stage magicians engage in a battle to create the ultimate illusion while sacrificing everything they have to outwit each other. Again, this is this is Nogan being picked. No, like, not it's not his original material. Obviously, it's Christopher Priest's material based on a. I think yeah, about nineteen ninety four. Had a quick read of it um, while I was studying Inception, and we'll be we'll be talking about Inception next. We'll be replaying our review from a few weeks ago. Um, but this is a film that can be argued as Nogan's period piece because it's set well in the past. This book, um, at the height of showmanship. And what I find particularly insane about it is you have Wolverine, Batman and Black Widow in the same film. Yes, really. Here's a clip. Uh, sir, in the third row there, please stand up and show us your handkerchief. This isn't mine. Perhaps you'd be so good as to return it to the lady in the aisle of the second row. I believe she has yours. I'm so sorry. I'm making so many mistakes. I'm so nervous. The audience doesn't seem to be responding much, Cutter. They've seen a lot of tricks before, but not this next one. Fingers crossed. We'll have the champagne ready. You've <laughs> seen this one before? You've seen them all before, mate. I'll make it a little harder then, shall I? Two volunteers, please, a lady and a gentleman, to hold this cage with me. I'll perform this feat in a manner never before seen by yourselves or any other audience anywhere in the world. Madam, if you place one hand on the back of the cage, one hand on the front, thank you. Sir, one hand on the bottom of the cage, one hand on the top.
a lot of plates going. Oh, don't suppose they'll let us do this again? No. So what's the climax of our show? Show? You don't have a show. Mr. Merritt, we have a week's engagement. To perform magic, not butcher birds and break my customers' fingers. Well, where do you begin on a film like The Prestige? It's a lot simpler to understand than some of Nolan's other work. It's not as complex, arguably his simplest film to date, because it's a pre-existing property. But it's a two-hour, five-minute film, really well-paced. I enjoyed how it was paced because it made a, made a breath of fresh air from the, uh, from the high antics and the escapades of Batmans and memory loss, amnesia, patients and stalkers and thieves from following. But this is a very simple film. Some some can regard as paid by numbers film because of the involvement of Disney, because Touchstone released this film in America, Warner's handled the distribution everywhere else. Uh, because it's a two-hour, five-minute film, pays very well, uh, co-written by Christopher and Jonathan again, goes to really like working with each other. Um, and again, a lot of a lot of people um, who worked on Dark Knight came back to work on this film, Wally Fister on cinematography, importantly. But no Zimmer. Zimmer was busy working on Da Vinci Code at roughly the same time. So to repay the favour, as I like to think, to repay the favour, David Julian came back to score uh, this film. And obviously, while it's not as good as a Zimmer score, it does the job. It really does do the job for what you want to see. Because it's a visual feast. It is a real visual feast. It's a considerable lower budget uh, compared to something like Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, or even The Dark Knight Rises. But this is a film that, again, like with Nolan film, like with every Nolan film, demands a couple of rewatches to really understand what's going on, even though it's a relatively simple narrative. Now, that's the charm of these films. You can watch them again, 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 and still get... Stuff out of it. Unlike a certain other series of films about magic, which we reviewed in the build-up to uh, last month's birthday marathon, <coughs> now you see me, <coughs> uh, this film actually relies a lot of uh, on-in-camera stuff rather than visual effects. I mean, there are some VFX-enhanced shots, but a lot of this was done for real in-camera, which and you can tell because it's Christopher bloody Nolan. <laughs> What do you expect? Uh, as for the cast, oh my god, this is a brilliant cast. You have Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale as your leads, uh, as um, the two magicians who uh, go up against each other to try and outdo um, their respective uh, camps, Angier and Borden, respectively. You have Michael Caine as Cutter, fellow magician, sort of like their confidant. Uh, you have Rebecca Hall as Sarah. You have Piper Parabo popping up. And, of course, Parabo, six years later, would work with Ryan Johnson on a fantastic science fiction film called Looper, uh, which was counter-programmed against The Dark Knight Rises, if I recall rightly. Uh, you have Scarlett Johansson popping up um, as Olivia, the kind of the love interest and the, uh, the falling the eye of both magicians. You have Andy Serkis uh, as Ali. Uh... But the real surprise, and this was kept secret until the film came out, Nolan was able to cast David Bowie as Nikola Tesla. When I watched this film for the first time, because I did a binge of all of the Nolan films, 
as part of my work on the film we're going to be talking about next. Uh, when I did my binge of all the Nolan films when I watched Inception, I did not see this coming, and it was a genuinely shock. It was a genuine shock to see Bowie pop up, and it's one of the best moments of the film. It's one of the best moments of the film, seeing Bowie appear from out of nowhere as Tesla, a man who's been depicted a lot on film. Just to actually see him on a big screen was... It would have been amazing for audiences back in 2006. But The Prestige is one of those films that you you can just really see the Hollywood influence on Nolan. He was refining his style, trying to get his personal projects made. He would take anything just so he could get films done his way. It's a go-out-and-see-it-now kind of film. It is definitely a go-out-and-see-it-now kind of film. I try not to give too many masterpiece ratings. Um, it is a go-out-and-see-it-now kind of film. And, uh, yeah... Yeah, you will want to watch this film very, very, very closely. Because now you see me jokes, the closer you look, the less you actually see. With this film, the uh, the closer you look, the more you see. And the good news, this is also on Amazon Prime, so you can watch it if you've got that subscription. So, now we're going to go back in time a little bit. We're going to go back in time to a podcast I did... In the middle of May, I'd like to think. I'm just trying to um, remember when I reviewed this film. On our June 4th podcast, we reviewed the 2010 film that would arguably put Nolan's name firmly into cinema's history books. We're going to replay that review for you right now because this is a bonus episode and we can do stuff like this. But if you missed it first time round, this is how we reviewed Inception. There's one thing you should know about me. I specialize in a very specific type of security. Subconscious security. You're talking about dreams. has a job offer he would like to discuss with you. What kind of work placement? Not exactly. We create the world of the dream. We bring the subject into that dream, and they fill it with their secrets. Then you break in and steal it. Well, it's not, strictly speaking, legal. It's called Inception. I'm ready. I think I found a way home. And this last job, that's how I get there. Dreams feel real while we're in them. It's only when we wake up that we realize something is actually strange. We are not prepared for this! 
I'd hate to see out of control. You mustn't be afraid to dream a little bigger, darling. Mustn't be afraid to dream a little bigger. That's coming from a director who would crash a plane into a building. True story. This is a film that has divided cinema goers and film fans around the world because of how complex of a film it is. I have a basic flavour here. But this is a film that you've got to really watch a few times to truly understand. A thief who steals corporate secrets through the use of dream-sharing technology is given the inverse task of planting an idea in the mind of a CEO. This is a film that really only Christopher Nogan could make. And this is his first properly big, high-budget, non-franchise movie that hasn't been adapted from a book. Because Christopher Nogan, at that point, he'd done a couple of Batman movies, he'd done... Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. He did Prestige in 2006. This was his first original foray into creating something new since his debut film following in 1997. And he made a film that was quite something. We'd love to be able to show you visuals from this film, but given what happened with Basic Instinct last week, we're not taking that risk. So unfortunately, we're going old school. You'll see a holding card and the audio... From this clip, very early on in the film, where you meet the Ellen Page character and Leo himself as Dom Cobb as they bend the city of Paris. Here's a clip. I guess I thought that the dream space would be all about the visual, but it's more about the feel of it. My question is, what happens when you start messing with the physics of it all? Just hearing that brings brings back memories of six years ago when I broke down this film in depth and watched it about three times back to back. This is, minor spoiler, this is a masterpiece. This is a masterpiece. I got to know this film inside and out for college work back in the day and it still didn't dampen my enjoyment of what is arguably one of the most daring Hollywood features that has ever been made. And... It doesn't feel like it's 10 years old. It feels like it was made five, six years ago. It was really ahead of its time. Now, it is Nolan who, Christopher Nolan himself, who writes and directs this one, and he does it so incredibly well. It's the same flair and polish that made The Dark Knight such a success back in 2008. It's incredibly tight, refined, perfectly paced. It's two, uh, two hours, 28 minutes, if you include your credits. It's almost like Warner gave him $200 million to go into his own private little playground and make the film that he wanted to make. And that seems to be the same mentality that they seem to be hinting at for Tenet whenever we get to see that movie, that is. And they gave him the instruction to do whatever he wanted with that $200 million. 
and it's kind of complex narrative that was able to be brought forward with such a budget like that because you won't be able to get visual effects like it for example there is one sequence in this film where they literally built using practical effects a rotating hotel corridor for one of the most badass fight sequences i've seen in a movie to date this complex narrative actually when you think about it boils down to a pretty basic three-act structure it's a film that you've got to watch multiple times to really truly understand and that is something a lot of audiences really made a mistake about back in 2010 when the movie was released Add to that some incredible cinematography from longtime Nogan collaborator and a name who we haven't seen on the credit roll on a Nogan movie since Dunkirk, the fantastic Wally Fister, who went on to do a movie called Transcendence and that didn't really do well at cinemas, did it? That's what happens when you are uh, when you when you're a good DOP but you don't know how to get a good performance out of Johnny Depp. Some absolutely mind blowing in in camera VFX, which is a hallmark of what Nolan's like. And obviously, you heard it in the clip, Hans Goddamn Zimmer. That score literally ripped the rule book apart for what has now become the conventions of scoring a big Hollywood movie. You got your orchestral stuff, and you have your synth stuff flavoured in on top of that. It's almost like he's using his 1980s experience, which we're going to be testing you about in the upcoming journal, which is going out in 50 minutes from now, to his full advantage. Now, performances, all of them are fantastic. So I, I shall just simply list the cast. We have Leo DiCaprio. We have Tom Hardy. We have Killian Murphy. We've got Joseph Gordon-Levitt. We've got Ellen Page, Marion Cotillard, and Michael Bloody Kane. This is is an incredibly gifted cast. And Nolan, as he's been able to do on a lot of these films in the past, is able to get some incredible performances out of them. This is a film that feels fleshed out, believable, and there's enough character development to really warrant gasps, especially at the final shot of this movie. To say any more would spoil it if you've not watched this film already. But that is how you do a cliffhanger ending. This is a piece of 21st century cinematic history. See it big and loud, see it again, and then see it a third time. Because it really will take you multiple viewings to truly comprehend the levels of input that Inception has had on this industry. It changed the game. And sure, I got round to it six years later than everyone else. But when I watched this film for the first time, I was blown away. And I continued to be blown away by a movie like this. This is a bona fide, if my cart wall will work, this is a masterpiece. This is a masterpiece because it is a film that made a lot of things possible for Hollywood. Without Inception, we probably wouldn't have got The Dark Knight Rises. And without this, we wouldn't be getting Tenet. Which, as it currently stands, card subject to Corona, is coming out on July 17th. Fingers crossed. Now, one thing that has happened between me reviewing that film on June 4th and 
doing this podcast now is that I have now actually got to see Inception in a proper cinema. It was a brilliant way to return to V. Preston. And it genuinely felt like a dream. It was brilliant to actually watch it on a big screen for the first time. It, what experience it in a, in, a, in a proper cinema with, with seven one surround sound. Obviously, it wasn't a thirty five or a seventy mil print. It was a it was a DCP, but it was projected marvelously by Cyberwood and his team. Hello, guys, if you're listening, I'm not, they're all following me on Instagram now, so I know they're listening to this. Um, but watching that on a big screen, and I'll be I'll be talking about this more on Friday uh, in Cinema Diaries. Uh, Watching that film on a big screen for the very first time, you really pick up on a lot of details you never noticed. For example, I noticed uh, Yusuf, uh, the alchemist, uh, giving someone the finger uh, during the, uh, the car chase scene uh, as they set up for the kick. Uh, speaking of the kick, that Edith Piaf remix. Screen 6 v Preston nearly broke the subwoofers of that screen. That's how loud they played this film. Um... Other details uh, looks incredible on a on a big screen, especially the um, the third dream level down, uh, where they're in the um, the hospital, uh, the mountainside hospital scene that looked directly after out of a bond, uh, the Bond film. That looked incredible on a big screen. Uh, the opening of the film sounded good, and people are still confused by that ending ten years later. Uh, it is brilliant to have Inception back in cinemas. If you haven't had a chance to watch it on a big screen yet, get on it now because the 10th anniversary reissue will be phased out of cinemas tomorrow. Well, tomorrow as I record this, but today as this podcast goes out because Tenet is out today. Tenet is out today. And that also concludes uh, this little bonus podcast. I know, it's gone really quickly. This is going to be like an hour long. Uh, so you basically get two episodes of a podcast this week, which is really good. Join us on Friday from 6.30pm, why don't you, uh, where we will finish up the set. We will be doing in, uh, Instella, Dunkirk, and we will at long last be reviewing Tenet. Uh, and that review is going to work a little differently. Uh, in that we will do the first half of it spoiler-free, we will give our rating, and then we will start talking about spoilerific detail. That's the way we're going to do it, so if you are based in America or a territory who is not as lucky enough to be getting the film this week or have to wait until September the 4th to get their hands on the film, we have you covered. Uh, and also, keep your eyes on the YouTube channel uh, over the week as well. Uh, I will be doing... All being well, depending on how quickly I can get out of that cinema tomorrow, um, we should be bringing back What the Hell Happened with my initial reaction to the film before I've even written a review. So it's a busy week of content ahead. Hopefully you'll join us for a lot of it. And if you're listening on all good podcast providers, five-star reviews would be greatly appreciated because it would help get our podcast out to more people. I've noticed we're getting a lot of, a lot of listeners from France right now, so hello to all of our French listeners. Um, we're getting a lot of French listeners, we're getting a lot of UK listeners, but we want to grow this podcast a little bit more. And the best way to do that is by leaving reviews, by watching us live on YouTube every week. We do live stream this podcast uh, every week. Uh, and... Not only that, we have 
the Ripped Ticket archive available as well uh, on the Ripped Ticket's own podcast feed and on our secondary channel, Just the Goods Bit, which you can find uh, linked in the description of this podcast. Big couple of weeks for content, big week for UK cinema. And we, of course, will have all the latest on Friday, including your three-minute film news rundown, your box office, which I can confirm um, there has been an 18% rise week on week. That's the only box office that I'm going to give you in this little bonus episode. Uh, You'll have to wait until Friday for me to do the full top 15. But with that, that is it for this extra episode of Talking Spearbent Film. Join me on Friday from 6.30pm. For Interstellar, Dunkirk and Tenet. But until then, my name's been Jack Smith. You've heard me talk nonsense about the world of Christopher Nolan. And until Friday, we will see you in the foyer as they thoroughly desanitise that screen. Let's get back to our cinemas. See you on Friday, everyone.